This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, Episode 5. This is Writing Excuses, hijacking knowledge you already have. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And the part of Dan will be played by a goblet of orange juice. We also have Mehdi Ivy Harrison joining us once again. Mehdi, thank you for being here. It's great to be here again. Uh, Can you tell us about one of your books? Sure. Uh, The Rose Throne just came out this year in 2013. It is a story of two princesses who are from rival kingdoms. And um, it is based loosely on Mary Queen of Scots and Queen Elizabeth, who were my obsessions when I was in high school. I studied everything I could about Tudor England and about these two characters. And um, I I sort of wanted to have an alternate universe in which they met as teenagers and became friends. Um, Not that that would have solved all of their problems. (laughs) They would have made a lot of things really more difficult between them because they were still, they would still have been rivals for the same crown. And and the, the alternate universe that I've created has these two islands that are connected by a very small bridge, Um, but they were once one island. And the ideal of both of the kings who rule these separate islands is to um, join them back together again, at least politically. And so the two princesses are being used as, you know, pawns, basically, in their father's plans to bring the kingdoms together. And they are very dangerous to each other. The success of one will mean the failure of another. Mm. And then on Mm -hmm. top of that, I laid a magic system that is based on gender. So men have a different kind of magic than women do. And so one of the princesses has the right magic, and the other princess doesn't have the right magic. (laughs) Okay, wow. That's awesome. And it was called the Rose Throne? The Rose Throne. Awesome. And that actually transitions very well into what we were going to talk about, which is hijacking knowledge you already have. Now, this was a topic that came out of a discussion we were just having for our own interest, because Mary had done an, a recording of a book. Right. So y- you guys know that I record audio fiction. This one is not out as, at the time that we're re- recording, but um, it's called Make Art, Make Money by Elizabeth Hyde Stevens, and it's Lessons from Jim Henson on Finding Your Creative Career. One of the things that she talks about is, you know, there's this meme that you need to spit in 10,000 hours developing your craft and practicing. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is that you may already have some of those 10,000 hours under your belt from another part of your life. And it's learning to recognize what is junk and what is, you know, that that a lot of this junk is actually useful. And the the metaphor that she uses is Jim Henson's Bremontown Musicians, where uh, the donkey, you know, runs away from his terrible masters and he's saddled to this cart. He has to haul this, this cart around with him. And there's this big tube of metal around his neck and he's like oh my love is terrible i'm hauling this cart around and there's this tube of net this tube around my neck and kermit points out that the tube around his neck is in fact a tuba and that he can use it to make music and uh and that he does and that he can he can make a support himself doing that the entirety of the film he is still attached to the cart but he uses it to haul his friends around so what was a terrible burden becomes part of the way that he makes his living. And I thought that this was a very interesting, and her point was that you can look at aspects of your life to see whether or not there is something useful there that you can use in your writing. Okay. Well, let, let's look at this for ourselves and, and see if we can, we can take examples from our lives. Has this happened to you guys? Did you find things in your life? I mean, obviously, Mehdi, a tr- uh, what, teenage fascination for you became something yes. that became a, a story. 
Oh. Yeah, and, and in addition to that, um, I dedicated the book to my best friend in high school. who And she and I were originally rivals and hated each other when we first met, which was in... Um, when we were in ninth grade, and only became friends two years later. And, and so the two characters are very much based on this very specific relationship that I had in my life, um, and then sort of played onto the, a larger historical stage. I found, now this is going to be kind of a weird one, but one of the things I found when I started writing is that I had kind of been doing this for years. And the mm-hmm. thing I had been doing as, um, as a kid is I, you guys all know my story that you listeners I've told it too many times but I discovered fantasy novels when I was 14 and just fell in love with the entire genre I started reading and one of the things I started doing immediately was rewriting the stories when they didn't do what I wanted them to (laughs) and this was a challenge for me because I didn't want to undermine the rest of the story so I had to come up with hacks to the story that made what I wanted to happen happen behind the scenes. So I'm basically doing like something like Wicked or like um, uh, Andrew Rosen Shadow. Rosencrantz and right? Gilderstern. Rosencrantz Rosen- and where I have I would write parallel novels to the novel that's going on, where I'm like, well, this character actually is doing this behind the scenes. Um, and it became something that was very common for me to do in books. Well, when I started writing my novels, I started writing a story behind the scenes where characters that were not on screen started doing things off screen and it is spun into this entire you know story behind the story which is kind of the, the kind of the deep web of the Sanderson novels the uh, the the Cosmere um, and Hoyt and all this stuff but it came if you look for the original inception with me reading Dragon Riders of Pern and saying well I really think this character is doing this other thing off screen and writing a whole story for them I would like to read that some point. Well, this was all in my head. Okay. I didn't write any of this down. Darn it. Um, so this wasn't actual <laughs> writing practice. Yeah. But it was but it's something. Still, yeah. It was the tuba around my neck. I mean, that donkey, I, I assume, you know, it's like he didn't know how to use this tuba, but he could learn to use yes. this tuba. That's the whole point of it. It's not that I was writing, but I found something in my life before that was a real help of something I'd already practiced a lot that I could transition into writing. Yeah, and I mean, the obvious one for me, which everyone knows, is the puppetry. Mm-hmm. Um, because I spent, you know, 20 years learning how an audience responds and learning how very subtle changes in dialogue or uh, body language or just blocking that, that these would have an enormous impact on the way a story was perceived. And, um, and, you know, and I use that all the time, but it is not, it is not something that I sat down and went, I think I'm going to be a puppeteer so that I can later become a writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's my music education in a nutshell. Uh, I've studied music composition and sound recording technology. And I've loved science fiction and fantasy uh, you know, since I was, well, about the age Brandon was, you know, 13, 14 years old. Um, and I remember talking to uh, some of my composition, uh, music composition professors, um, about how, you know, the narrative arc that they were describing in music, uh, well, you know, you're borrowing that term from literature. Uh, this, the things that you are teaching us are, they're going to work across both domains. Um, and most of my professors were like, no, they're not. No, they're not. You're being, that's, it, they're, they're really, they're really quite a bit, quite a bit different. Um, and 20 years later, when I started, was it 20 years? Uh, 15 years later, when I started cartooning, um, I was able to, I was able to look at those things and realize, oh, 
Um, they're actually a lot more similar than my composition faculty wanted me to believe. And in addition to that, many, many, many of the things that I had failed to learn as a musician um, about refining a theme, uh, grinding on a melody or a harmony or something um, until it's you know until it's been fully explored. Those were not things that I did well because they were kind of boring to me. I just wanted to come up with a new idea. Uh, when I started the cartooning, I realized, oh, here's this skill that they kept telling me I needed to develop, and I'm just going to develop it in a new field because I know that the skill exists. I know that it's a thing that needs to be done, um, and and I'm just going to learn to do it in a completely different domain. Yeah, Awesome. And a lot of times I think it's also things... Um, Taking taking life experiences that may not directly translate into a writing skill, you know, it's like yes, the fact that I can translate puppetry into a writing skill is useful. But there's also things like, you know, with Medi's book Iron Mom, she translates uh, her life experience with becoming a triathlon athlete, and she takes that with her completely separate experience with being a writer, a fiction writer. And combines those into creating the, the narrative nonfiction. So you can also look at events in your life that will, that that you can mine. Right. Um, I was actually having this conversation with uh, Patrick Rothfuss. Oh yeah. And he was well, one of the things we were talking about that every writer we know in the moment of trauma has this thing where you step uh -huh. back and you're like, oh, remember this. Remember, you're use this. I can use this. And that that this is this is in some ways it's a distancing technique that mm -hmm. allows us to survive the moment of trauma. Mm -hmm. But it's also because as writers we know that this will be useful later. Yeah, I, the story I tell on Steelheart tour, told every day, was about how the, the story came to me. It's because someone cut me off in traffic, and I thought about blowing up their car, and, you know, with superpowers. And I'm like, you're lucky I don't have superpowers. I'd destroy you right now. And then part of me was horrified that that was in me, and the greater part of me was like, ooh, that's a story. Yeah. Um, Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are going to stop for the book of the week, which is Dangerous Women, an anthology that George R. R. Martin um, put together with Gardner Desois. And um, they do these anthologies uh, pretty consistently. They're kind of like rock star, an star anthologies in the science fiction fantasy world, though this one is much goes much broader afield. There's, um, there's no um, necessary genre slant to it. There's contemporary, there's historical fiction, and things like this. It does contain a um, new story in The Song of Ice and Fire, um, uh, setting and a new story by Jim Butcher in the um, Dresden verse about uh, um, Harry Dresden's assistant. 
Um, and it contains a story by me called Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell. And um, I was very flattered to be invited into the anthology. I kind of wanted to be in one for a while. And so when George asked me, I was ecstatic. And it has a wonderful um, audiobook. And uh, my story is read by Claudia Black, who is a... Um, an actress who was in things like Stargate and Farscape and stuff like that. Uh, my assistant really geeked out when he heard that and she, she was And she voiced doing... the, the Dragon Age video mm -hmm. game. And uh, yeah, um, jealous, um, very so jealous. It's got a, uh, go look at the list of, um, of wow. uh, readers for this thing. You'll be amazed. It is an A list of readers. Anyway, so Dangerous Women um, is out now on Audible. And Howard's going to tell you I can get it. AudiblePodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership. Pick up a copy of the George R.R. R. Martin and Gardner Dozois uh, anthology called Dangerous Women and get to listen to awesome narrators cover the work of awesome authors. Now, one of the big questions I get when I'm, um, I'm doing Q&As, a lot of people want to know, do I take people from my life experience and put them in my stories? Um, which is a both an easy and a hard question to answer um, because the answer, the simple answer is yes. The more complex answer is yes, but. And that but is I don't actually generally take a, a given person and write them in unless I'm tuckerizing them for fun. I'm like, hey, here you are. Um, normally, there's an aspect of a person when I meet them that uh, will be very interesting to me. Uh, the the uh, example I often use is my friend Annie who is six foot tall as a woman and I had never realized how much trouble this could create for a woman in life and I would when I first met her and became friends with her she talked about it all the time and I'm like wow um, this is really something that you think about and talk about that's a cool conflict it's a it's something I'd never considered and it became a character conflict just a character quirk it's not the main thing but it's part of one of the characters in my first novel Elantris and it's these sorts of things. When I chat with people and I meet people, I'm like, oh, that aspect of you is one of these dials I can stick on a character that I can twist and try and figure out who they are. Yeah, You I... are far kinder than I am. <laughs> um, I Sometimes I'm sitting in church doodling and I will see somebody's face and I will realize, yep, I'm going to use that. I'm sorry, your nose now belongs to me. Yeah, but that's um, still just an aspect of the person. It's still just an aspect. And then there was the uh, the, the time I got rear-ended, and uh, uh, the passenger in the car that rear-ended me, uh, she was she was just an absolute harridan, and I memorized her from the top <laughs> of her head to the bottom of her feet, put her in the comic, and killed her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that felt really, really good. Yeah, that can feel satisfying sometimes. Um, for me, it's uh, I will likewise take aspects of people. Um, for for me, that the the place that it turns up most often is that uh, the the romantic relationship between any characters in my book are is at least somewhat based on my relationship with my husband. Mm -hmm. You know, they they say you know write what you know, and and mm -hmm. this is something that I know, but none of them are Rob. Right. All of their their aspects. Most of it is in the way my characters relate to him, or you know something that is that my character finds adorable. Um, ooh, since this is in audio, I can actually give you something that is in without a summer. Mm -hmm. um, that that uh, that is. I can't, it's really hard to convey in text. 
which is that Vincent makes this little noise when he's conflicted. And, and it was something that Rob did, and he was not aware that he did it. And it's like he holds it, and I describe it as, it's like he holds his breath, and it, it leaks out imperfectly. And it sounds like this. And he had no idea that he did it. Wow. It was, ho- yeah. So, oh. um, honey, you, you have a tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I told him about it and later realized that I shouldn't have because he's trained it out now. Aww. And I was like, it was so useful. That's mm. <laughs> too bad. I spent um, about five years learning how to play the piano as an adult. Oh, wow. Not lessons. F- and, and I didn't do it because I particularly wanted to learn how to play the piano. But my second daughter is brilliant musically. And... Um, the more advanced she became, the more I realized that we didn't have anything to talk about. Like, it was really difficult for me. Like, I, I'm, an, I'm an artist of, of one kind, and I could talk to her about music insofar as it had parallels to, to writing. But there were a lot of ways in which it didn't have any parallels. So I ended up figuring, as long as I'm driving her to lessons, I asked one of the teachers, you know, would you mind teaching me as well? You know, as long as I'm here for Sage, can you put me on your list? So I spent five years practicing every day and learning how to play the piano so that I could have a shared some basis of a shared communication and I thought that I was doing it only for my daughter but um in the rose throne one of the princesses is good at music and no one else is good at music who's around her the like this whole kingdom where nobody does music and there's a specific magical reason that that this is true um but I was only able to create this character because I had spent all of that time uh-huh. learning. I'm, I'm by no means an expert. I, I can barely plink out some church hymns. But I know enough about music that I'm able to create a character who is a musician. Holy cow. I'm sorry. I'm just having that moment of realizing, oh, that's why I write so many characters who are artists because I was an art major in college. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I, when I, I love <laughs> oh, the moments. <laughs> I love the moments uh, in, in the prose that I write when I get to describe sound mm. because as a, as a sound engineer, um, I know why sound does the things that it does to us. And so I can talk about the motion, the emotional reaction that the characters have to the sound. Um, but I can also, I can also lay out the physics in a way that is, that is entertaining and helps drive the story forward. And, uh, that's, that's fun. I've heard it said before, and I often attribute it to Stephen King, but I don't know if it's actually him who said it, that uh, the last thing that a writer should do is become an English major. Now, I violated this and went and became an English major uh, <laughs> because it made the homework easier because I was doing it already. But the adage goes that you should study something that fascinates you so that you will become a better writer by incorporating that into your writing. Mm. Um, the point of this podcast is to say, you're already doing this, um, that if you're sitting there, if you heard the adage, write what you know, you may not have lived in a fantasy or science fiction world uh, or done any of these sorts of things, but there are elements of your life that will make for fascinating reading to those who have not experienced it, which you can use to make your characters come alive, to make them more real, to add that extra layer of um, of fascination to your writing and you are well on your way already by having life experience to adding your unique voice to your prose so this is just a kind of a heads up go and do it every writer does and I think it's something we all do instinctively but we could even do better now Mary writing prompt yes so what I want you to do is to look at your own life and take something that seems completely unrelated to your writing 
whether it's um, you know taking out the garbage, uh, childhood uh, swim lessons, something, and find a way to incorporate it in the next thing that you write. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 